Welcome to the Career Confidence for Immigrants podcast. My name is Sonia Ortiz and I'm your host. If you're a newcomer to a country, this is not the show for you. But if you've been stable in a country for a while and you feel stuck with indecision, self-doubt and confusion about your career and you want to start feeling better in your day-to-day work life, then this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having an amazing day or evening, depending on when you're listening to the podcast. I am having a lovely day. I am recording this podcast on my bed as usual. And I'm very happy because my husband and I just recently installed an area rug in the bedroom. It's basically to help our senior dog land more softly when he jumps on and off the bed. And I'm kind of loving how it's making my podcast sound cozier or better. So I don't know if you noticed, but I am kind of enjoying the quality of my audio so far. But let me know what you think. So anyway, uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast today. And today we're going to be talking about the six skills you need for authentic career confidence. And this is going to be a two-part episode. So today we're going to cover three out of those six skills. And the next episode, it will be the other three. And, And just so we're clear, by authentic career confidence... I mean, basically, to reach a state where you feel like your work, the work that you're doing is meaningful to you. So you can actually wake up every Monday feeling kind of excited for the day and the week ahead of you instead of constantly dreading it, right? And I know the people who listen to my podcast don't want to be just, you know, another cog in the machine or chase after a promotion just for the money and the status. All of those goals are fine, but I know that the people I tend to attract the most are also looking for a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in what they do. And, you know, sometimes when we are sensitive souls, we get to um, we, we get inside our heads a lot about everything. And I'm here to help you get unstuck, okay? So if any of this resonates, uh, stay tuned so you can learn more about the skills you need to start cultivating. And also, before we continue, I have an ask, which is something I will keep asking. So um, get used to it. It is to please, please, please share the podcast with a friend. It will really help me spread the word and help more people, you know, stop hating their jobs. So that's it. Oh, yeah. And by the way, if you are listening on the Spotify app, you can always share an episode directly using the sharing button inside the Spotify app. And it turns it into like an Instagram story. And then you can tag me at I am Sonia Ortiz. That's my Instagram handle. So you can tell me what you are learning when you listen to this. Okay, so I thought for a long time over the weekend, what are the skills that anyone wanting to get more out of their job or their business needs to start cultivating? And after a couple of, you know, walks and brainstorming sessions, I came up with six things that I believe are like non-negotiable if you want to feel successful and satisfied when it comes to your career. And it's not 20 or like 100 things you need to master here, just six. So let's get started with the list, okay? Okay, so the number one ingredient you need to love your work and feel successful in your career 
and you know feel like what you're doing it's actually meaningful is to learn the skill of supervising your mind and I've said this many times in the podcast if this is your first episode welcome if not you know that in the first couple episodes I tell you that whatever happens outside you know, outside of us, like in the outside world, isn't the real problem. We think it is, but it isn't. So for example, the boss who hired you and then decided to quit, that is not a problem until your mind has the thought that they betrayed you and they shouldn't have left. I remember this is something that I suffer so much when I was working in corporate. I remember the person who recruited me left the company like six months after and I felt so betrayed. So that's one example. So another example is, you know, the massive layoffs that are happening in your company are not a problem until your mind tells a story that if you lose your job, uh, you, you will never be able to find another one, right? Another example, you are not, let's say you're not making the amount of money that you think you should be making. And again, this is not a problem until your mind makes it mean that you will always be broke, for example. So again, there are circumstances, which are basically the things that happen outside of ourselves. And then there's a story and the meaning that our human minds make about those things. And those meanings and stories really vary a lot. This is why some people at work may really like you and maybe others, you know, not so much. So the question is, are you inherently likable or dislikable? Well, you know, we don't know because in reality, the perception that others have of you comes from their own mind and their own thinking, not from what you are inherently. So what does supervising your mind mean? You may wonder, you know, are we talking about, you know, watching your thoughts or doing positive thinking? You know, is this similar to the law of attraction and the idea that your thoughts create your reality and you manifest things from your mind? Well, not quite. <laughs> it's a little bit more complex than that, because the problem with positive thinking and the idea of manifestation and yeah, the idea of like pure positive focus and so on is that it makes an enemy of negative thinking. And for most people, this is a bit of a trap because thoughts are kind of impossible to control. And if you want to go deeper into this topic of thinking, make sure that you check out an episode that I have called How to Think About Thinking. I know the title, it's like super meta. But if you like this whole, you know, discussion about thinking and you're intrigued by all of this, make sure you listen to that one too. So instead of positive thinking and trying to control our thoughts, a better approach is to simply observe the contents of your mind with curiosity, compassion, and without automatically buying into or reacting to every thought you have right away. Because... Here's the truth. The thoughts that we have, most of them come from societal conditioning, from your culture, from your parents' culture, from the media. Most of the thoughts we have at any given day have nothing to do with us and aren't really that important, really. 
they aren't important until we decide that they're important and we start reacting to them. And again, for those of you with an anxiety disorder or OCD or something like that, trying to control your thoughts to be positive and to think positively, it's basically the worst idea. And I say this as someone with generalized anxiety disorder and someone who really tried this whole methodology for years probably only to be left feeling, you know, in a loop and stuck, right? I tried this and yeah, it just made me spiral even more. And really, I am so glad, so, so glad that my thoughts don't literally create my reality, like, you know, the law of attraction or the secret tends to say, uh, because, you know, if they did, I would have, you know, died a thousand times in like the most horrible ways, you know. So <laughs> supervising your mind and going back to my original point it's basically about observing your mind in a non-reactive and non-judgmental way. And this is really the key to having success in your career and business. And why is that? What is the link between these things, right? Well, because chances are, if you haven't been supervising your mind, you have been letting those unsupervised voices dictate your decisions at work and they haven't really gotten you the results that you want, right? So, for example, let's say that you have the thought that says something like, well, I better not speak up in this meeting because I have nothing of value to add to this meeting. So automatically, let's say you believe this thought to be true. And then what happens? Well, chances are, if you have this thought, you aren't going to be speaking up in meetings. Therefore, you will not be communicating what you know to no one, basically. So your ideas aren't really getting any feedback from anyone. Therefore, you can even improve, right? And in turn, maybe no one comes to you for, you know, advice or for expertise because they don't know, you know, what you're all about, let's say. And this whole cycle gives your brain more evidence that maybe... The reason why, you know, all of that happens is because you don't have anything to of value to add, right? It's basically like whatever thought you have, you know, you end up finding evidence outside of you to prove it, right? And this is why I think some people sometimes get confused because, they, you know, they say your thoughts create your reality, and it's partially true, but it's not the mechanism, it's not like literal and immediate. It's not like you think of something and it happens, right? No, it's more about, you know, the cognitive bias, right? And this is just to give you an example of how a sneaky thought like that may sound very factual to you, right? Like, oh my God, I have nothing to add in this meeting, right? And how it kind of operates, you know, in the real world. And of course, once you have identified that thought and the results it has in your life, you can definitely, you know, work with a coach, you know, get some tools to work on believing something else, something new, something that serves you more. But I always, always, always advise people 
to take the time to stay in observation mode first without trying to change something right away. Because a lot of the times when people notice that they have a negative thought like that, what happens like, you know, let's say I don't have anything valuable to say in meetings. What happens is that they really want to rush in and be like, well, that's silly. Why? Why do I believe that? And, you know, they start really like judge themselves and they're like, well, I should be believing that I always have the best things to say and that everybody loves them and that I'm super smart. That's what I should be believing. And well, yeah, I mean, if you could believe that, that would be amazing. Except that most people try to go from realizing that they have a negative thought about themselves to try to completely be like, I am the best person in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's such a big gap that for most people, that kind of positive rah-rah type of affirmations just don't don't work like anytime you try to change your thought from that place of impatience and rush and emergency um you're basically engaging in another form of of positive thinking that is really forced i know like on social media sometimes people call this like toxic positivity and i have you know a couple of thoughts and feelings about the word toxic um, because I think sometimes it gets a little bit overused and personally, I don't like it so much. Um, but uh, the idea of, of toxic positivity or, or forced positive thinking, the problem with that is that it doesn't lead to real and lasting change, right? So what can you start doing then to cultivate the skill of supervising your mind and observing your thoughts without judgment it's one of those things that you're like yeah yeah it's awesome like easier said than than done and honestly for all of these things it just takes practice really and i always advise you become familiar with your thinking by starting a journaling practice this is one of my main tools i have some clients that are like but i don't like journaling and i'm like you have to journal. I'm sorry, you have to. <laughs> it's like, there's no way around it. Uh, especially if you tend to carry a lot of stress and worries inside of inside of your mind, I really, really recommend that you start a very simple journaling practice that's all about setting a timer for, let's say, five minutes, and you do like a worry dump. So you dump all your worries, all the problems you have, all the troubles, you put them down into a piece of paper. You can also do this on your notes app. I remember there was a time where I was journaling very frequently and I would use the notes app. But I honestly prefer pen and paper because it gives your kind of brain and body to process things a little bit differently. And yeah, this is the best way to start practicing and I really really emphasize starting with kind of the negative you know the the problems the troubles because it all like it almost gives your brain like a space to release that tension right so definitely that journaling exercise will give you a way will teach you how to become more familiar with the voices inside your head but again the key is to observe before trying to jump in and find a solution to a problem and fix it you have to you know allow the urgency to be there but not react to it okay so <clears throat> excuse me that is the 
the main practice that I advise to start supervising your mind. Okay, so let's go to the second ingredient, the second skill that we need to start cultivating. Okay, so the second one has to do with feeling your feelings again, without judgment. <laughs> so this goes hand in hand with number one, supervising your mind. And like I said other times in the podcast, our feelings are not this like mysterious, inexplicable, unseen things that come out of nowhere. Our feelings are created by our minds too. And we feel them as sensations in the body. So feeling our feelings is really a key aspect because... Similar to what I said about society's fixation with positive thinking, we are also conditioning, uh, conditioned to believe that certain emotions and certain feelings are negative or bad or like dark and they need to be eradicated and how certain emotions are positive and somehow, you know, more superior and more desirable things like happiness, right? And Honestly, the conditioning runs so, so deep. I mean, how many of us were told as kids not to cry, not to be sad, not to get frustrated, not to get angry? We were told basically that we shouldn't be feeling what we were already feeling. So this whole thing... and. Listen, like, I'm sure even if you grew up in a super healthy family and, you know, you were comfortable, you had everything you needed, I'm sure an adult completely invalidated your feelings at some point when you were a kid. <laughs> and all this dynamic because of people telling us not to feel a certain way, it made us become really reactive and almost to learn to constantly fight against our feelings, right? And we know that fighting against our feelings, it's totally exhausting, right? So this belief that we're entitled to be feeling great at all times and that our lives and careers should be great and amazing, it sounds very cool and noble, but it creates so much suffering because we fight against reality. Like it or not, the reality here on planet Earth is that there's grief and there are pandemics and there's like recessions and economic crisis and there's going to be layoffs and there's war and systemic racism. And seriously, there's so many horrible things in the world, right? And it's, and it's fascinating because when you think about it, we need the polarity and the duality. We need to understand the darkness so we can appreciate the light, right? So if we were to be happy all the time then it means we would have to be happy about death and war and poverty. And the question is, from all the emotions available out there, do you want to be feeling happy about those things, let's say? You want to be happy about death. And listen, I know some people choose to live this way, and that is a choice. But I'm here for the full experience, for the full spectrum of emotions, because even trying to manipulate my emotions so hard has just never worked for me. So I'm just, you know, surrendering. <laughs> so just because we believe that, um, I mean, because we believe that we're entitled to always feeling great, we try to change the way we feel by avoiding and distracting ourselves. So when it comes to career, we do 
endless job hopping, trying to find the right career, right? We move cities, we move countries, we are constantly looking for better opportunities. We change teams and at a more, you know, micro level, we use things like drinking, shopping, snacking, scrolling to distract ourselves, right? And I'm not saying that everything is an escape mechanism or an avoidance mechanism. But when we do these things unconsciously, like impulsively, kind of on autopilot, most of them are. So what is the solution then? Well, part of the solution is to decide that feelings are simply sensations in the body and that they are part of the human experience. And so what if could if we could start asking ourselves, can we just observe our feelings move through our bodies? What if, let's say, feeling something horrible like failure of rejection, to feel it in your body, imagine that it wasn't so different from, let's say, when you stopped your pinky toe on a piece of furniture kind of thing. And, you know, it hurts for a while, but then it passes. And in a few days or weeks, you don't even remember what the feeling was like, right? So what if the real problem, again, was the meaning and the reaction we have to our feelings? And to give you a classic example of how feeling your feelings is so important for your career goals, let's say that you're one of those people, and I know quite a few of them, who know in your heart that you're meant to work for yourself. And you know you have a vision for building a business or to start a side hustle or your own thing. But despite having many, many ideas and a strong desire, you keep procrastinating getting started and you tell yourself that you're confused and you don't know where you start. So most people who don't supervise their mind and don't know how to feel their feelings will stay in this loop for years. For years, they will be talking about what they want to do, but will never do it. They will get stuck in confusion, which is basically a way to avoid future feelings like, let's say, rejection, regret, shame, failure, if their idea, their side business, side project, whatever, were to not work out, or even feeling too overwhelmed if the idea were to be a success. I honestly believe that people are scared of both. We're afraid of failure as much as we're scared of success. It's really weird. So how do you start building the skill of feeling your feelings so you can achieve the goals that you want in your career and life? Well, the first step is to really start normalizing, let's say, the bad and negative feelings, quote unquote, and not turn them into a problem. So instead of seeing things like fear, anger, sadness, frustration, instead of seeing them as bad, start labeling them as just human feelings. And notice when you judge yourself or your partner or your coworkers when they're feeling down or when they're feeling angry or depressed. And notice how you have this urge to try to go ahead and make them feel better or to like fix it or to, you know, do something about it. Notice how you get like fidgety when you see someone else having what we like to call, quote unquote, a negative emotion. And I want to challenge you to start becoming more present to that, that, that urge that you have 
So stay in the observer mode while you're seeing someone else have a negative emotion and really see how it goes. Seriously, sometimes other people are our best teachers. So I really, really challenge you to start noticing this next time you see someone around you who seems to be upset and notice how you really want to jump in and be like, but you should feel better or but you should, you know, see the positive or well, it isn't so bad. (laughs) And instead of saying anything like that, just be present. Okay, that's my challenge for you in this in this area. Okay, now this episode, it's kind of longer than usual, but we're going to keep going again. This is why we did it in two parts, but because this is really a lot. But we are on to skill number three. We are, uh, yeah, almost at the end. So the third ingredient for career success, doing work that you love, feeling good about your, your, your work is to learn how to own your time. Seriously, time drama. (laughs) People have like really the worst relationship they can have with time. Seriously, time management is one of those things that a lot of people struggle. And again, I think it is because we grew up with so many opinions about time that aren't really that helpful. I mean, I definitely grew grew up thinking things like, well, you know, there's never enough time. It's very important that you don't waste your time or you you shouldn't be wasting other people's time. I love that one. Uh, Or things like, well, you know, when you keep yourself really busy, then times fly, time flies. And, you know, so many other stories about time. And it's like, this includes even, you know, all the rules that we have about age You know, like the whole like by 30, you should have done this and that. And by 40, you're going to have this and that. We are seriously so fixated on time, right? And so much of the time, the dilemmas and the pains we experience have to do with the points that I already exposed. Points number one and two, the thinking and the feeling part. Whatever you believe to be true about time, whatever opinion, thoughts and belief you hold about time it's kind of what your brain will see reflected back in reality. This is what I meant by like cognitive bias, right? It's like you have a thought and then your brain scans the world for evidence that proves that thought. Because we, our minds really like to be right. You know, (laughs) being wrong, it's very uncomfortable for minds. So here again, I'm not talking about the law of attraction. I'm not talking about like magical thinking that, you know, whatever thing you believe to be true about time will make you more time. No, again, I'm talking about like, you know, cognitive bias. So for example, when you believe the thought, the idea that there's never enough time, And you hold that to be, you know, the universal truth. What happens is that you are more likely to feel stress in your body. Feeling this excess stress in your body will limit your higher cognitive powers. And when you have this cognitive abilities and powers more limited, then you are maybe more likely to be distracted or maybe to be like, you know, more fidgety or to be less focused with whatever actions you're doing. And so as a result, you may 
be, you know, producing outcomes that are not of the quality or the quantity that you would like to produce. And of course, when you get that result, you think that the reason why you're not producing at the level you want to be producing, it's because time is against you, right? It's like you were running out of time. But the reality is that it's, it's, this isn't the case. The amount of hours in a day is a neutral frag. Like it's very stable. It doesn't change. It's always 24 hours, never more, never less. And you know, if you if you've been hanging out in the Instagrams, in the social media world long enough, you've probably seen a meme that says something like, you know, Beyonce and Oprah also have 24 hours in a day, right? Which is, I mean, I think it's a funny meme. Puts things in perspective, right? And really, I personally, my life really, really changed when I dropped the belief, very simple, that one belief that there wasn't enough time. And I kind of just like stopped believing anyone who said it. And of course, like I mentioned before, uh, trying to change a belief, it's not something that happens overnight. It's not the you know it doesn't happen through like affirmations or positive thinking that you don't believe like I said there's a process there's you know an art and a science but changing my thoughts about time has been one of the most rewarding experiences I've had and I think you can have that experience as well so now that you know that applying the points one and two so the thinking and the feeling um ideas to the concept of time, it's really important. What do I mean by this concept of owning your time? Well, owning your time for me basically means that you plan mindfully how you want to spend your time and then you own your decision so that when you're in the middle of your activity, you stay present and you don't fight with yourself. Because Most of us never learn to plan our time, you know, at at school. I don't think it's something that was really taught. So I don't know about you. So many of us never plan, plan our time. We just kind of flow with it. This can be all fine and good. But if we're real, it doesn't like when you do this long enough, you will not be producing any tangible results. And you will always feel like something's off, but you don't even know what is what is it that it's off because you had no goals or plans to begin with so you have like no point of comparison kind of thing and when I work with clients one-on-one we definitely work on developing their planning and their time blocking skills but I always recommend everyone start at step zero which is again a state of pure observation and seriously having awareness and observing it's like 95% of the world of, of the work, sorry. Like if you learn that skill of observation and self-awareness, it's already like you're like more than halfway through, you know, achieving your goals and all of that. So how do you become more aware of your time? Well, you start keeping a time journal of what you currently do. And let's say you do this for three to five days, let's say. And the whole idea here is really to start telling yourself the truth as to how you're currently using your time. And you do this by, you you know, you keep doing the things you usually do. You keep your routine, however it is, or your lack of routine. You just act naturally. 
you don't try to change anything so that you appear as being super productive. No, you simply keep being yourself as you are right now, but you keep a detailed time log on how you're spending every hour of your day based on, again, what you're already doing. And this is going to blow your mind. This exercise, it's just... So I remember doing this exercise like a few years ago for the first time. And I wrote down something like from 10 to 10.30 a.m. I was overthinking a client email. <laughs> and at this time, I was already working with my therapist for my anxiety disorder. So I could, you know easily catch myself in, you know, engaging in this patterns of looping and overthinking. But having that realization of literally writing down that it took me 30 minutes to think about an email that I was going to send to a client was so, so, so eye-opening because I had some precious new data about myself. And Ever since then, I have definitely improved that number. Maybe right now I overthink emails for like 10 minutes, <laughs> but I still accept the fact that at times, if I'm going, especially if I'm going through a season of anxiety, writing may take me longer than I would like to, but, or maybe longer than other people, I don't know. But instead of judging myself and wishing that I was different, I just plan around this. I plan for it. I, I, I count on this happening and then I go on with my day. This is why I really, really advise that if you do the time journal exercise, you do it as you are right now. Okay, that way you really tell yourself the truth of like, who is it that you are right now? What are your habits right now? So many people just want to like, they do the time journal, but they try to structure their whole day in a different way. So they have like their morning routine and they go like they go for, a, you know, for a jog at noon. And it's like they're doing all the things that aren't really in their habitual patterns. And then the results that they get from that exercise are all skewed because this is just temporary things that they're doing. And again, I'm not saying that. It's impossible for you to become that person who has morning routine and goes for, you know, jogs at lunch. But I'm saying that the best way to get results from the time log from a time journal exercise is to start where you're at at the moment right now. OK, and once again, when you do this exercise, I want you to expect that your mind's going to want to judge the shit out of you and how you use your time. And again, the, <laughs> the, the mantra here is just to like allow the judgment to be there and, you know, resist the, or the urge to fix it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, remember that it is normal for any mind, like our brains, this is really how they work you know, the mind likes to go into rules and comparisons and conclusions. And, you know, if you happen to, you know, watch Netflix three hours on a day, like expect your mind to have something to say about it. And yeah, the judgments will not feel great, but I promise that you can handle them, especially if you choose not to buy into them, because I am warning you beforehand. <laughs> okay. So, um, that's it really for the time log exercise. 
it's really, really going to give you a lot of information about how you're using your time, which again, if you want to be working on, you know, career advancement goals, business, building business on the side goals, like seriously, you're going to need to start managing your time like a pro. And this is the first step to have and to start, you know, cultivating the skill. So this is it for today's episode. We cover thoughts and feelings and time. And this was a lot. This was a lot. (laughs) So make sure that you go back and you listen as many times as you can, as many times as you need for it to land. It's okay if this is the first time you're listening and you're like, what? But go back a second time and take notes, okay? So my advice, once again, is to just start with one area. Seriously, you don't have to, you know, do thoughts and feelings and time and all of that. And, you know, in the next episode, I'll give you the three other skills to start building. But start with just one thing and do the exercise. In today's episode, we cover thoughts why it's important to supervise your mind. We talked about feelings, why you need to drop the labels of good versus bad feelings and, you know, what to do instead. And we finally also talked about the importance of planning and owning your time so you can make space for your career or business on the side goals, let's say. So that was the recap. That was a lot. Pick one area that resonates and try the exercise I gave you, okay? And if you have any questions, make sure you send me a comment or a DM on Instagram. That is where I hang out the most. And my handle is at I am Sonia Ortiz. And once again, if this episode was helpful, make sure you share it with a friend, okay? Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're interested in learning how coaching can help you navigate career changes and achieve a better work-life balance, then make sure you check out my website at soniaortiz.com. You'll have all the information on how we can work together. Talk to you soon.